I said, Prince Alfangor's little brother? One of the Andalites blurted. Yes, I am Alfangor's brother. I sighed a little at that. I know it's ridiculous, but as much as I loved and admired Alfangor, it did get annoying always being called Alfangor's little brother. They were three Andalite warriors. You could tell they were warriors by the way they carried themselves by the way they managed to look totally straight and stiff, and yet had just a little bit of casual slouch in their hind legs. That plus the fact that each had a military-issue shredder weapon and extra power cells slung on a bandolier. I am Samalin Koroth Gahar, captain of this ship, the oldest of them said. My tactical officer, Harelli Frodlin Sirenil, and our ship's physician, Dr. Caldwin Ashul Tahalak. Now, what in Yaolin are you doing drifting around in zero space with five aliens? Did you save them? Are they safe? The aliens, I mean. Dr. Caldwin answered, Yes, they are quite well. But what unusual physiology. Four of them are clearly bipedal, but like any sort of tail. They walk on two legs and manage to do so without having a tail for balance. Quite fascinating. The remaining aliens evidently designed for flight and... Yes, thank you, Doctor. Captain Semelin interrupted. The question for the Earths is what was he doing in zero space in the company of these... these fascinating aliens? I climbed to my feet. I felt shaky, but I couldn't just lie there. Captain, I was in morph, in a very small morph. Then I heard a popping sound, and suddenly I was in Z-space. What? You are the extruded mass from a low-mass morph? It's impossible! The doctor cried, his eyes bright with excitement. I mean, it's not impossible, perhaps, but it's never happened. This will annihilate every existing theory on morph-mass displacement. This will be a scientific breakthrough of... Yes! No doubt, the captain interrupted again, sounding more testy. But as fascinating as it is scientifically, I have a bigger question. We know how you came to be floating in zero space, Earth's Aksamili. But how did these aliens arrive here, since only Andalites possess the morphing power? It was a direct question from a superior officer. A very superior officer. A ship's captain is lord and master of his ship. And Aruths is basically something a ship's captain might scrape off his hoof. Even though the captain's tone was very accusatory, I had this sudden urge to start laughing. It was sheer relief. First, because my friends were well. But also because I was back among Andalites. They looked like me. They spoke like me. They moved like me. I wanted to laugh and to be sad. Answer the captain's question! The tactical officer roared, speaking up for the first time. As the number two officer, 
tactical officers are the ship disciplinarians. Sorry, sir, I said. It's just that I haven't seen a fellow Andalite in a very long time, and I thought I might never... that I might be stuck on Earth for the rest of my life. The T.O.'s fierce expression softened, but not much. The captain nodded and said, Just give me your report, Earths. But he said it nicely. Yes, Captain. I have been marooned on Earth for approximately 0.7 standard Andalite years. I believe I am the only survivor following a battle between the dome ship, where I served, and a Yurk pool ship. The pool ship was assisted by a concealed blade ship belonging to Visser Three. The T.O. made a sneering, disgusted sound. The dome was separated prior to battle and... I was in the dome. It wasn't my choice. I was ordered to the dome. I felt foolish defending my actions, but I didn't want it to look like I was some kind of coward. Anyway, the dome fell from orbit and crashed into one of Earth's oceans. I was down there underwater for several Earth weeks until the humans came to rescue me. The same humans who are now in sickbay? The doctor asked. Yes. They use some sort of human diving craft. The T.O. asked. No, they morphed into aquatic animals and rescued me. The captain showed no expression, except a wary tightening around his main eyes. They morphed? And where exactly did they acquire the ability to morph? This was going to be hard. Some time ago, I had managed to make contact with the Andalite Command. They had basically told me to take the blame for giving humans morphing ability. They didn't want to blacken Alfangor's reputation as a hero. Giving away morphing technology is a major crime. What should I say? Should I lie to the captain? It seemed impossible. But I had orders from much higher sources. I did, sir. I gave them morphing capability. The captain just looked at me. I see. You are not a good liar, Arthas Aximili. My heart skipped a few beats. Sir? The T.O. sighed. You young fool. If you gave the morphing power to the humans, how did they manage to already be in morph the first time you saw them? Obviously, they were already capable of morphing by the time they discovered you. What could I say? I hadn't exactly had time to prepare a good story. I was supposed to be a mosquito a few billion miles away. Now I looked like a liar and an idiot. I said nothing, just tried to stand at attention. Doctor, thank you, the captain said, dismissing the doctor. Perhaps you'd like to go check on your humans. See if you can't analyze this zero-space problem young Aximili has discovered. The doctor left. The captain leaned close. Earth's Aximili, I'd like to know why you're lying to me. I would never lie, unless... Unless what, you insignificant Earths? The T.O. cried. You are addressing a ship's captain. I nodded. Yes, I know. The T.O. started to yell again, but the captain cut him short with a raised hand. 
Arths, have you at any time made contact with the homeworld during your time on Earth? Yes, Captain, I said, practically collapsing with relief. Captain Semelin got it. He understood. And you were given orders at that time? Yes, Captain. He looked as if he might ask more, but he didn't. He looked at me for a long time. Then, in a much gentler voice, he said, What happened to Alfangor? He was killed by Visser Three on the planet's surface. The captain nodded. The T.O. looked shocked. Prince Alfangor did this? The T.O. asked in an awed voice. Prince Alfangor broke the law of Ciro's kindness? That speculation will never leave this room, the captain said harshly. It was Earth's Aximili who foolishly gave the morphing power to the humans. But between us, I'll say this. I served under Prince Alfangor. I was his T.O. at one time. And any time Alfangor did something, it was for a good reason. He looked right at me and said, Alfangor was my friend as well as my prince. I'll believe he broke the rules. I'll never believe he did wrong. Chapter 13 Hey, I have a question, Marco said, raising his hand and waving it around in the air with a sense of urgency. What question? I asked him. Where, 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 where are we? We are in the sickbay of the Andalite assault ship, Ascalon. I tried not to sound too happy about that fact. I knew my human friends would be devastated at learning they were marooned far from Earth. Ascalon? Isn't Ascalon that new salad green? Rachel wondered. We have just come out of zero space and are now moving at top space normal speed toward planet Lyra. Lyra? Where the psychic frogs are from? Cassie asked. The creatures who the Yorks were going to use those mutated sharks on. Yes. As we already knew, the Yorks were having difficulties invading Lyra in their usual style. The Lyran psychic abilities made them able to detect the presence of a Yurk in another Lyran's head. The Yorks were going to alter hammerhead sharks to make them suitable for Yurk infestation and then use those shark controllers as shock troops in the oceans of Lyra. But we busted up that plan back on Earth, Marco said impatiently. I was there, remember? I know this part. What I meant was, how did we end up here? One minute, I'm a mosquito, then, bam bam boom, I'm my cute, lovable self again. Only I'm looking up at some Andalite who's asking whether I've ever had a tail. I almost peed myself. I thought he was Visser Three. It seems our extruded mass was swept up in the wake of a passing ship. Everyone is very surprised and excited. We have made a scientific breakthrough. Oh, good. I feel better already, Rachel said, using a tone humans call sarcasm. So how do we get back? Prince Jake asked. No one knows. The doctor and the other scientists on board are working on the theory. There may be a snapback effect, but they don't know. And we are about to land on Lyra. 
This is an assault ship, which means it carries a large number of surface attack crafts. It is no longer a secret Yurk invasion of Lyra. It has become a major open battle. They have four pool ships in orbit and two blade ships, hundreds of bug fighters. We have less than a third of their forces. So let me get this straight, Rachel said. Suddenly, we're a bazillion miles from home, and we're about to get dragged into a serious shooting war where the good guys are outnumbered three to one? Yes, I said. Cool, Rachel said. What can we do to help? Oh, even for you, Rachel, that is just sick, Marco said. You can do nothing, I said. I told you the Kafit bird morph that Visser 3 used is from my home planet. That means our side may be infiltrated by Yurks or their allies. We can't trust your secret to anyone. If you do get back to Earth somehow, you won't survive if the Yurks find out who you are. Cassie tilted her head and looked at me with a sad sort of smile. If you get back to Earth? Meaning you won't be going back with us? I wish I hadn't used those words. My head was too full of problems and complications and every kind of emotion. I didn't really want to think about being separated from my human friends. Rachel looked disgruntled. I have news for you, Axe. If there's some yerk butt-kicking being done today, I'm in on it. We have to follow the captain's orders, I said. Says who? Marco asked. I was beginning to feel still more troubling emotions. Something bordering on panic now. And strangely enough, guilt. I am just a lowly arts, like a human cadet. I have to follow orders. I looked pleadingly at Prince Jake. You have to understand. You are no longer my prince, now that I am back among my own people. They all looked at me. It wasn't a nice look. Prince Jake tried not to seem bothered. But although I am no expert on human facial expressions, I believe my statement did cause him concern. Maybe you need to think about who your people are now. Tobias said in a private whisper that no one else heard. I am not you, Tobias. I'm not a nothlet. I'm not one species trapped in the body of another. No, but I don't think you're just a lowly arts anymore either. And whether you like it or not, you're one of us. I didn't answer him. He was wrong. Instead, I said, as gently as I could, the captain has ordered that... Until the situation is stable, you must all remain here, in this room. Please do not attempt to move about the ship. Chapter 14 The Ascalin raced, engines wide open, toward the planet Lyra. I watched from the bridge. For some reason, the captain had called me there and seemed to want to keep me close by. Maybe he was worried about me being too close to the humans. I don't know. I just know that an arts usually doesn't stay on the bridge. It was small, as battle bridges go. None of the wide open spaces of a dome ship bridge. There was good hardy grass underfoot, though, 
and the latest in sensors and computers ring the circular space, watched by half a dozen intensely focused warriors. It was an honor to be there. It was exciting. So why did I keep picturing my human friends sitting in the little room off the sickbay? A tall holographic display shimmered in the middle of the room. It showed the planet and the ships in nearby space. York ships in red, our ships in blue. There was a lot more red than blue. By focusing my mind, I could see one of the new ThoughtSpeak displays. It transmits data directly to your brain. Very cutting edge, as Marco would say. I decided that I had no reason to feel guilty. I had been united with the humans when we were on Earth. That made sense. But now I was back among my own people. My true place was here. On the ThoughtSpeak display, I called up a detailed map of the situation on the ground. Planet Lyra was 92% covered by water. 8% land and a few scattered islands and one continent. The land battle would take place on the continent. Neither we nor the Yurks had much capability underwater where the Lyrans built their cities. I could see several Lyran cities, usually built within 40 or 50 miles of the continent or one of the islands. Whoever, Yurk or Endolite, ended up controlling the continent would effectively control the planet. What do you think of our tactical situation, Arths Aximili? The T.O. asked me. It startled me. He sounded almost friendly. I'm not an expert on... I did not suppose you were. He snapped. I asked for an evaluation. Yes, sir. The Yurks are strong in orbit above the planet. I would say the odds favor them. But they don't want the battle to take place up here. Even if they beat us, they might be too badly damaged to be able to invade and hold the continent below from Lyran counterattack. I see. If they fear the Lyrans on the surface, why take the risk of engaging us and the Lyrans together on the surface? I was out of things to say. Of course, the T.O. was right. I must sound like an idiot. The T.O. turned one stock eye to look at me. Because, Arthas Axumili, the Yurks understand that different species do not fight well together. We have one way of doing things. The Lyrans, a very different way. The Yurks are united under one command. We and the Lyrans are not. I noticed the captain looking thoughtfully at me and at his T.O. He seemed displeased. There is a lesson there, Arthas. The T.O. said, We Andalites are strongest when we fight alone. Yes, sir. I knew what he meant. He was talking about the humans. And I really should just keep quiet. And yet, with all due respect, it was my human friends and I who destroyed the Yurks' attempt to create a species of ocean-going shock troops for use here on Lyra. If the Yurks had succeeded in that plan, the situation here today would be impossible. The T.O. looked angry. I didn't regret having spoken up, but I was waiting for him to... Dracon flashes! A warrior at a sensor station called out. We have Dracon flashes at the north end of the continent. Now Shredder flashes. The battle has begun. An instant later, 
a holographic Andalite head appeared in midair before us. Force Commander Prince Galu Enelon Escarth, the TO said. Attention! No one stood at attention except me. They all had things to do. You don't actually stand at attention if you're doing something. In a calm, thought-speak voice, the holographic head said, The action has begun on the continent. There are heavy Yurk forces. Carry out Plan 7-4. To our Lyran allies, may your great god, Cha Ma Meeb, smile on you this day. And to all Andalite warriors, the people expect that every warrior shall do his duty. The Escalon deaccelerated, slowing as it dropped into the thick, humid atmosphere of Lyra. Sir, what is my battle station? I asked the T.O. He laughed the grim laugh of a warrior going into battle. For the bold arts who made all this possible? You'd better stick with me. He and the captain exchanged a glance and a laugh. I didn't know whether to be embarrassed or proud. Mostly, I was just scared. The continent loomed larger and larger. Most of it was lush and green, primarily jungle. Green like Earth's forests and jungles, but with wide swaths of some brilliant yellow vegetation too. The north end of the continent was less fertile, more barren, probably colder. It was in one valley there that the battle was underway. Visual, the captain ordered. Magnification optimum. The hologram that had showed space now switched to a startlingly real picture of the valley. I could see Yurk forces, mostly hork with a reserve of taxons and a scattering of geds, dug in on high ground above the west rim of the valley. They had erected massive force fields covering their back, thus forcing our forces and the Lyrans to come at them head-on. Our ground skirmishers were racing across rock and through scattered trees, firing and being fired upon. A force of Lyrans was on foot, scrabbling over the rocks, almost unprotected to assault the Yurks. You see why the Yurks chose to fight here? Captain Semelin said. As the T.O. was saying, different species under different commands cannot function well together. You see, we waste our forces protecting the Lyrans from being mowed down. As a result, we are weak. The Ascalon will turn that around, the T.O. said confidently. Landing approach, a warrior called out. Then, Captain! Malfunction in the ground approach guidance system. The captain looked perfectly calm. The T.O. swung his face toward the warrior who had spoken. What? He roared. Sir, the controls are frozen. I've been locked out, attempting to override. Override failing. The T.O. leapt to the console. His fingers flew across the fields and resonators. I saw his concentration as he made the mind link with the system. Then, with absolute horror on his face, he turned to the captain. Captain, we are on approach to land behind your lines. We won't have a prayer. The captain walked calmly over to his T.O., and then... Whap! The captain whipped his tailblade like lightning. 
the blade hit the T.O. at the base of his tail. T.O. Horelli's tail fell to the deck and twitched. Every warrior on the bridge froze, staring at the impossible sight. The captain drew his shredder and fired. Warriors fell to the deck, stunned unconscious. The air crackled with heat. Static electricity sizzled and danced in blue flame across bodies and equipment alike. Only the bleating, horrified T.O. was left conscious. A deliberate insult. He was no longer dangerous. Ah, my good arts, the captain said, holding the shredder on me and taking the T.O. shredder. I don't want to take the chance of injuring you. Visser 4 would be very upset if I injured the creatures who have been causing Visser 3 such trouble on Earth. Vissers 3 and 4 are such close friends. Just remain calm. It will all be over in a moment, and you will all be guests of the Yurk Empire. Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs auditory experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. I'm running late to a thing, and one of my housemates is playing their music very loud, so I'm sorry if you can hear that in the background. We're just going to rush through this one. I don't have any new announcements. My computer almost crashed trying to record this, um, but we're good. So thank you for listening. Uh, if you'd like to hear more, you can check out my website, theapocalypse.com. That's the apocalypse, like apocalypse, but with a D in the middle. Uh, it's got all my stuff on there including uh, my newly rebranded Into the Rewatch podcast, which is my rewatch podcast with my friend Jesse. We're going to be releasing um, a special Christmas episode over the Netflix film Jingle Jangle, either this weekend or next weekend, depending on how I feel when I edit. And uh, it's a lot of fun, so check that out if you want. Uh, if you use Apple Podcasts, leave me a rating review if you'd like. Um, and also, if you'd like to reach me, you can do that through the aforementioned website or through audiomorphscast at gmail.com or audiomorphscast.tumblr.com. All right, I'm going to get on out of here so you all have a lovely week and a lovely Christmas if you celebrate. Um, Happy Hanukkah. That's ongoing. I think that is coming to a close soon. Um, But happy Hanukkah to those who celebrate that. Happy holidays to uh, who is ever celebrating whatever in this winter segment. Um, And happy week if you don't do any of that. Alright, I'm gonna get out of here. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight.